and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the Muppets Take Manhattan. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-pilot down the path of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio, the Muppethon rages on. Yes, it does. Uh, we've done the OG Muppet movie with the, the Muppets Wizard of Oz. Uh, patrons got to hear us talk about the Muppet Christmas Carol, and now we've arrived at the Big Apple, the Muppets Take Manhattan. Anybody that's been following the Muppethon, uh, or maybe anybody that knows you, Alex, knows that this one in particular holds a very special place in your heart. Now, I don't know when was the last time you watched it. It's possible that that might have changed since then. Uh, I mean, we'll see when we get through this, uh, specifically in the, the second portion of the podcast. But yeah, this has always been my favorite one. And, you know, both of uh, you and I really love the 2011 one. Uh, so that one's up there as well. But there's just something about this one that I've always clung to. Not the least of which, it's in 1984. And like I was talking about with the Muppets movie, did you notice there was really no... Uh, dead giveaway that it wasn't you know what time period it was the celebrities yeah to the cameos <laughs> to a certain extent I was gonna but, say Dabney Coleman is no longer the get that he was in the well, 80s and Mayor Coke uh, in uh, New York City uh, you know it wasn't like we had Rudy Giuliani in here on like when he was on Seinfeld or something but <laughs> just classic Muppets there's nothing that particularly dates it too heavily uh much like Jason takes Manhattan, we do get the digs at the citizens of New York City where Miss Piggy is assaulted and robbed. Uh, so I'm glad we can at least get that in work in uh, from uh, Frank Oz, Tom Patchett, and uh, Jay Tarsis, who uh, worked on the screenplay. Must not have too much of an affinity for New York City. There are constants in, in the history of America, of the world, and just New York being a shitty place that also happens to make your dreams come true. <laughs> That's just any movie from wherever you want to pick, 60s, 70s, 80s, Taxi Driver, Muppet Steak Manhattan, New York, New York, Gangs of New York. They're all Scorsese movies except for the Muppet one. <laughs> All right, Julio, so we're bouncing around our timetables here. As I mentioned, we're back to the summer of 1984, New York City, glorious New York City, July 13th of 1984, in fact, with TriStar Pictures, The Muppets Take Manhattan, directed by Frank Oz, and as I mentioned, the screenplay by Frank Oz, Tom Patchett, and Jay uh, Tarsus. 
on the main feed, we last left off with the Muppets Wizard of Oz, a made-for-television film. Uh, this was two theaters. This was the real deal Holyfield. And I, I don't even know if they had the distribution rights to this are owned by Disney at this point in time because I had to watch this on HBO Max. What about you? Same. I, I was wondering if you owned it and, and that's how you were going to watch it. But yeah, I <laughs> I kept, you know, I went to Disney Plus and I typed Muppet and uh, got a whole bunch of results in No Muppets Take Manhattan. So then I just added the S, like Muppets, to see if that made a difference. <laughs> and then you put but, a space, and then you put a T. Yeah, look a. at it. <laughs> well, no, then I went the full take, like Muppets Take. Oh, okay. That didn't do it. So then I, dele- I, I deleted everything, and then went the Muppets Take, and that didn't happen. I was like, what the fuck? So then I got a Google, looked it up, and I saw there was an HBO Max, not on Disney Plus. Went to HBO Max. I just had to put, uh, I put M and it gave me a Matrix Resurrection. So I was like, fuck that. And then I put the U and then it came up, Muppet Stick Manhattan. And everything was was good in the world, thankfully. Uh, pretty good transfer. I, I had no complaints. Yeah, it looked great. I do own it. I just, today was busy and tiring. I didn't feel like getting up on my shelf and because it's on the highest shelf. <laughs> I didn't want to. On the altar. I can, yeah, this remote can get me where I need to go with this, so. If this is your first time tuning into The Contrarians, thank you very much for doing so. If you're a returning listener, thank you as well. Uh, Give us just a moment here while we explain what it is we do to any and all potential new listeners. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh, and we will cut that movie down to size. We usually shoot about 85% and above uh, to take it down, to point out you know, bad acting, uh, poor screenplay, questionable direction, things that critics seem to have just overlooked or swept under the rug in the initial reviews. And then conversely, on alternating episodes, we will find a movie that is lowly rated, typically about 30% and below, uh, those nasty green splotches known as Rotten, and make a case for the positive merit in that film. Uh, talk about, you know, under-celebrated performances or you know, very courageous screenplays, that type of thing. Things that were overlooked by the critics, all in an attempt to show that, one, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, as it is known by the general public, doesn't tell the whole story, and two... You can be as over the moon or cynical about anything as you want to be. If you set your mind to it, it can be done. But that all comprises the first half of our podcast, which we refer to as Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movies we're discussing, they just have to hang on to the second half. That's correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you how we really feel. Uh, we stop pretending, and instead we just tell you how we experience the movie, uh, what we really think about it. Like I mentioned earlier, Alex has been pretty vocal about his love for The Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, That was all, of course, before this last rewatch. And let's face it, we've all been changed by the last couple of years overall in the world. I think that we might have become too jaded for the kind of uh, uh, cutesy humor that The Muppets are trying to push in this movie. So it wouldn't surprise me if we get to real talk and it turns out that Alex reveals that he no longer loves The Muppets Take Manhattan. As for myself, I don't know that I've ever gone on at length about it. Uh, so I look forward to doing so uh, once we get to the second half of the show. Have you seen the, Have you seen this before or was this your first time? Oh, I've seen it. I saw it in theaters. Okay. When you were what, 27? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, like back then, uh, Peru didn't get the movie, the the releases at the same time. So he probably got that one at least two years later. So 
86. I was I was a, a wee lad. I, I was I was pretty <laughs> tiny, but I remember it stuck with me. I mean, I, I mentioned it in previous episodes. I grew up with the Muppets, so that was it was a big deal going to see him uh, on the big screen. Very different experience watching it as an adult, of course. As I mentioned, being that The Muppets Take Manhattan is 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, a little bit below what we typically shoot for, but we will still be treating it as a fresh uh, movie. We're making some exceptions here as we work through the Muppethon. Uh, kind of surprised it's that low. I think the highest one, the highest rated one on Rotten Tomatoes is the 2011, which I believe is in the, the 90s. The Jason Siegel star power. Oh, no, it's the Amy Adams effect, man. <laughs> That's that's really the it's the lady from American Hustle and Arrival. <laughs> yeah, that uh, the Muppets from 2011 is at 95%. So there you go. Hard to argue. And Muppets Take Manhattan coming in just a little bit over a movie we will circle back to here uh, in a little bit with Muppets Most Wanted, which is at 80%, which was, of course, the follow-up to the 2011. So Julio, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, Muppets Take Manhattan, there's a lot to be said about this movie. What I'm curious about is what the critics were saying about it. Uh, well, I'm going to read you three quotes, three fresh quotes from uh, the Tomato Meter. And uh, let's see if you spot the trend. TV Guide says, Not as good or as hip as its predecessors, but the Muppet Gang remains fairly charming. Next, Alexandel from Juicy Cerebellum says, Not as good as the original Muppet movie, but close. <laughs> And then Rob Thomas from Capital Times, Madison, Wisconsin, says the weakest of the Henson era Muppet movies, but still a charmer. Alex, <laughs> what's the common thread in these three quotes? Not as good as the original, but it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, there's there's better Muppet movies, but you know what? Fresh tomato anyway. Um, and then to elaborate just a little bit more, the, the master of the written review, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times says, the fact that this plot is not original does not deter you, Kermit, nor should it. It's still a good plot. Is he calling the reader Kermit, or is he addressing Kermit directly <laughs> in his review? <laughs> I don't know. But he gave it a red tomato, so that's all that matters. He wants a direct line of communication to Kermit. Yes. <laughs> his whole review is, is just a, a love letter, an open letter to Kermit the Frog. Dear Kermit... Today I saw your new movie. While it wasn't as good as the original, it was pretty good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that that's it for quotes. Uh, not not a whole lot of reviews actually. So that might also have to do with why the the tomato meter percentage is a little wonky. I think there was like 26, 28 reviews total. You online critics, so-called online critics, uh, get on it. <laughs> really, it's a ninety-minute movie. Watch it and. Put a review on Run Tomatoes. Uh, but anyway, Alex, you can take us into Contrarian's Corner now. Oh, so Julio, I found an answer to our question here before we even get to it. Unlike Henson's previous films, the Muppet movie, The Great Muppet Caper, and The Dark Crystal, The Muppet Take Manhattan was originally released by TriStar Pictures and not produced by ITC Films, mainly because ITC was fu suffering from extreme financial difficulties at the time. Therefore, unlike the previous films, the distribution rights to The Muppets Take Manhattan did revert to the Jim Henson Company in 1998, but did not revert to the Walt Disney Company in 2004. Due to this, it is one of three Muppet films, along with Muppets from Space and the direct-to-video feature Kermit's Swamp Years, whose home video distribution rights are still controlled by Sony and not Walt Disney. 
Therefore, it is not available on the Disney Plus streaming service. That makes sense, then. I mean, it makes sense, but I don't have to like it. I just want all my Muppet content <laughs> in one streaming platform. Yeah, you're lying to me, Disney. Uh, amongst other things, when you say, you know, you're the home of the Muppets, that's just bullshit. <laughs> the home of most of the Muppets. The home of the Muppets outside of the state of New York <laughs> and outer space. <laughs> So that's a good lead-in, actually, to the beginning of the film with the TriStar studio signature. <laughs> the type of shit that I'm a sucker for that made me happy. Uh, but we go right into you know a Jim Henson film with Together Again. Together again. Gee, it's good to be together again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going on together again. Where does Together Again rank for you in the Muppets' original songs, Julio? Uh, certainly one of the most recognizable ones. Mm-hmm. And and it actually, it's, it becomes a plot point in this movie, which... It's uh, the overture. <laughs> yeah, but then it also, you know, we get to hear the, the spoon on glass of water version of it, of the beginning, which is just... All right, enough. Retire it after this, you know. <laughs> but then it comes back uh, again, and again, it's in our future, right? The uh, the Muppets Most Wanted has its own version together of it. again, again, again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. I mean, we've we've gone through so many musical uh, beats in this Muppethon already. So now it's just when you bring up any time the song comes up, you have to like place it in the the wide array of of musicality from the Muppets. And here's the thing. Since we did the Muppets with Sir Ross, now Ashanti is there with, with Muppet songs, which automatically makes it like she raised the bar. Now, mm-hmm. it's like none of the Muppets has Ashanti's voice, which means that no matter how hard they try, they're always going to come, you know, they're always going to be second best at best. It's 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 all right. I mean, it's I think it's it's catchy, not necessarily good, but it's catchy. It's an earworm. Yeah, but I think it also tips the movie's hand a little bit because it's just telling you we're together again, and it's implying we're gonna do the same thing again, <laughs> which is you know the Muppet formula: pop culture cameos and yeah, sing some. We're gonna set out songs. on a journey. Yeah, and it's towards the middle. We're gonna disperse for a little while, but then we're gonna come back together for the finale. And yeah, every ten or fifteen minutes, there'll be a new song. Yes, and and every Muppet is gonna act the exact same way that they've always acted. They never change. They never learn anything. And then we'll do it again. <laughs> so the Muppets have graduated from Danhurst College and entertain their fellow graduates with their theatrical production of Manhattan Melodies. Upon the suggestion of taking the show to Broadway, because why not? The Muppets proceed with the idea, certain that they will become stars instantly. Arriving in Manhattan, the group meet producer Martin Price, but the police arrive to reveal he is a wanted con artist named Murray Plotsky. Plotsky is arrested, leaving the Muppets' hopes dashed. They try other theatrical producers to no avail, leading to their morale and finances taking a nosedive. So, again, just off the, the, the kick here, off the start, off the bat, they're just entertaining like their friends and their peers and they just think, well, yeah, we can just go to Broadway and do this, so why not? <laughs> and they arrive in Manhattan. Uh, very iconic shot of them 
at the bus station arriving as we get like that poster of Manhattan and it pans out and they're walking in a frame. Fantastic mm-hmm. stuff there. But uh, again, it's the... Is it here that... Uh, is it here because you said walking? Is it here that we get the, the close-up on their legs as they're walking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on now. By now, we should be over the fact that we can see them walk. I, I understand why it was a big deal in the original Muppet movie, but we are at least one movie removed from there in several years. So seeing the Muppets walk is not, it doesn't deserve a, a close-up. That's just something that should happen now. We should just... If, if Jim Henson wanted to impress me, he needed to do something else. With they should have used that time instead of showing more of them in the the locker scenario that they're set up. <laughs> yes. Seems I, like they could have gotten more mileage out of that. Yeah, I haven't seen that before. Uh, question before we proceed, though, before we move forward. How old are they supposed to be? Because I never thought of them as college graduates. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> mid-20s? Never crossed my mind. I would think of them as mid-30s. <laughs> you know, like how old do you think that uh, Kermit was when he just set off on his first adventure in, in the first movie. I would hope that, that they're older than that, that they're in the mid-30s, because then I don't want to start thinking about them being like in their early teens in the, the Muppets <laughs> movie and just the the situations and the problems that would lead us to. Because, like, didn't Elliot Gould fuck Miss Piggy? Isn't that something <laughs> that happened in, in the movie? <laughs> I mean, it was implied. <laughs> so I'd hate the idea that, you know, five years later she was then of college age. All right, so, so so yeah, it's weird to see them graduating. Like, I thought that Kermit was making a joke at the beginning of this movie. Where he's like, thank you for letting us enroll in college and letting us graduate. I'm like, ah, he's being funny. And then it turns out that no, they were actually, all of them, they were in college. I don't know. To be it's, fair, it, it, like the students, the audience there, the student body that makes up the audience, that's some serious grease casting, though. Those guys all look like in their fucking 40s. So it could just be one of those schools where, you know, age is, there's no restriction. It's not about age limits. It's about no limits. <laughs> it's night school or whatever. Yeah, you're right. Before we had the, uh, what is it, like the Phoenix University? What's that scam online? DeVry. Uh, yeah, whichever, you know, like those that you know are like, oh, well, you know, we'll give you a degree. Before that, you know, you had the, the type of university that was like you had to attend in person and you attended alongside Muppets and it's like bears and frogs and gonzo. Uh, yeah, it, it was just so weird. I, 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 the idea of the Muppets as, as college graduates was just it threw me off from the very beginning. And then, yeah, they they arrive in New York and they have their... Uh, Travolta and uh, Saturday Night Fever entrance with the the close-up mm-hmm. of the feet, and then they're in the lockers. Yeah, and so they show up uh, kind of a nod to the original Muppets movie or the Muppets movie, you know, kind of just thinking everything's going to work out perfectly, the the Orson Welles scene at the, the end of the first one. They walk into this producer's office and just think everything's going to go great. And it's going to kickstart them beautifully. But as I mentioned there, it turns out to be a scam. So they're kind of up you know, up the creek without a paddle and they're just trying to do what they can. So we get a montage with our second song of the movie. You can't take no for an answer uh, by Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem. Julio, what do you think about this song? You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. No, no, no. Um, it's all right. I mean, as a, as montage songs go, uh, 
it's okay. It was more around this time. I I couldn't tell if it was just that the movie or the franchise in general was kind of giving up on the idea of uh, cameos, cameos from famous people, or if it was just that I was not recognizing the cameos. Because mm-hmm. this would have been the perfect song, the perfect musical number to throw like 10 famous actors at you. Right, like every person that they go <laughs> to perform their their song and dance uh, audition in front of, uh, you know, could have been just anybody. You know, could have like Scorsese, and uh, <laughs> this is the perfect scenario for them to do that. And it was just a bunch of nobodies. Did you recognize anybody in in this number? No, no. I thought I was I was on track. I was like, all right, that's Marilyn Henner as the as the receptionist. I know her from Taxi. And then Dabney Coleman, I know him because he's Dabney Coleman. Like, I don't know, what is he in from? Uh, he's from, uh, I think, 9 to 5. He plays he plays a, the boss in 9 to 5. And that's where it stopped. After that, the rest of the movie, I was drawing blanks. So I was I spent most of this musical number from uh, uh, Dr. Teeth just kind of worrying, and justifiably so, that I was kind of out of sync with the movie's... Uh, pop culture meter because i wasn't recognizing anybody during this montage we do get some cool shots of uh, the muppets around the city of new york specifically though they show a shot of them like reading the one ads or maybe a map or something in central park and it made me realize the last time i saw a scene in central park in a movie was when i watched the fisher king and it's when i saw robin williams naked so it just immediately (laughs) took me back to robin williams's penis while he's jumping up in the air so uh there you go no no muppet penises in this one so i guess that's that's a good thing. As the montage winds down, they find themselves at a, a Pete's diner uh, where Pete, played by Louis Zorich, and his daughter Jenny, played by Juliana Donald, uh, operate this little coffee shop. And they go in and attempt to get food, and Kermit basically says, you know, we can't pay you, but we can work it off. This is where we get uh, Rizzo's appearance, though. He's a waiter along with several other rats. They're basically running the kitchen at this place. Uh, and so we get jokes about need the number for the health inspector, that type of thing. Um, we do get a good line though when uh, Jenny comes in and Rizzo says, "Okay, you can take the weirdos at table four and then it cuts to Donald uh, Gonzo looking around and he says, "Who do you think sitting at table four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so this is Rizzo's introduction, I'm assuming, into the Muppetverse, right? I mean, because yeah, we haven't we didn't see him in the original movie. I'm assuming he's not in the great Muppet caper. Because everybody's treating him like they're seeing him for the first time. Like as, as far as canon goes, this is him meeting them for the first time. Um, I know we kind of touched on uh, Rizzo when we we're talking about the Puppet Christmas Carol, but that was a very different Rizzo than the one that we get in this movie. So, how do you feel about Rizzo? Like, how how do you rank him uh, as far as Muppets? Because personally, I find him really annoying. How how do you feel about him, especially like, in this? Manhattan incarnation that's even uh, I think more broad than what we've seen before or what we saw the problem later is, I guess the problem in this one is it's they don't do enough to differentiate all the other rats in it so you don't really know which one Rizzo is and I mean that literally <laughs> it's like the same puppet they just have like six copies of the same puppet that they're using and they all use the Rizzo voice you know you can differentiate who the females are and who the males are so it creates confusion, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Rizzo's fine. I, I guess I have the sentimental attachment of uh, Rizzo's Peaches Shop at Movie Studios, uh, Disney. But yeah, he's not in the same galaxy as you know your Rolfs or your Fozzies. Uh, he's just kind of... Uh, he's Sean William Scott. A little bit will do you. 
Yes. Yes, he is. That's uh, an excellent way of describing him. Because <laughs> I was about to say, he just rubs me the wrong way because he is not wholesome like the other Muppets. He's mm-hmm. he's just like even in this movie, right? He is not a good employee. He's he's trying to uh to get a, to get away with shit. You know, he tries to get his friends hired. <laughs> he uh he has a bad attitude. He's lazy, and uh, even when later in the movie, when Kermit recruits him and his friends to help him with something, he fucks up. It's just he gets on my nerves. I I think that as the years went by, maybe they kind of uh, rehabilitated Rizzo, made him less annoying. But in this movie, he is just, he's a pain in the ass. Uh, I was not, uh, I was not a fan. Uh, I tell you one more thing, something else that I'm not a fan of is Kermit's uh, demeanor in this part of the movie. Like the, mm. I guess what you call like a, a despondent Kermit, where he's just, uh, he's just tired rejection has gotten to him and the Muppets are looking up to him as, as the leader to tell him what to do. And he just, he breaks down and he goes like, I don't know. Why do you always ask me what to do? Why, why do you always follow me? We failed. And he just like, he starts sulking and, you know, mopes about for the next 10 minutes of the movie. And I don't care for that. I, I just, uh, we've talked in the show before about how some actors bring their personas and, that's what they're known for. And then when you see them do something different, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In the case of Kermit, uh, when I think of Kermit the Frog, I don't think of somebody that allows himself to be defeated or that just starts, uh, you know, self-pitying. It, that kind of stuff doesn't match my image of Kermit. So when this movie went there, it it kind of lost me. It, thankfully, he kind of bounces back. But uh, for about 10 minutes, he was just not my Kermit. This eventually leads to the group splitting up. It's time, you know, for everyone to kind of go their own ways. But first, beforehand, the seeds are planted uh, for a potential relationship. As I mentioned, uh, Juliana Donald plays Jenny. is a bit friendly with Kermit, uh, you know, a bit nice <laughs> and a bit understanding of his uh, plight. And Miss Piggy is a, a bit precarious about this. She's a bit weary, a bit uncertain about this. She kind of sees her interaction. And we just kind of get a shot of her face kind of, you know, just observing it from afar. She's not uncomfortable yet or you know angry but just something to keep an eye on uh so they all do end up going their own ways we do get a song of saying goodbye with kermit being the only one that sticks around in new york city or so we think and then he kind of just gives himself a pep talk on top of the empire state building that night about (laughs) the frog is staying you hear me (laughs) and then the camera pans down and we see a mysterious shadowy figure and it turns out miss piggy is stuck around too to keep an eye on kermit yeah miss piggy get like gets the the batman shot just the silhouette yes <laughs> yes um the song the, the the sad song maybe the, the the saddest song we've had so far in the muppethon and maybe it might be the saddest song in muppet history the the goodbye song how do you feel about that saying goodbye why is it sad makes us remember the good times we've had much more to say foolish to try it's time for saying goodbye you know especially on the heels of me kind of being bummed that 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 kermit was uh in such dismal spirits to follow that up with a song that's basically about them just parting ways and not knowing when they're going to see each other again. 
<laughs> it was just too much. And and I'm an adult. I can only imagine what it's like to to watch this. Actually, I don't even have to imagine it. I, I like I said earlier, I watched this when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure this song made me cry when I was a kid. Because you don't know any better. You you think that they're really yeah. just separating for good. So uh how do you feel about this number? Too much above yeah, It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. You know, there's some other songs like um Pictures in My Head and there's some other yes. pretty heavy songs from the Muppets. And this one's up there though, because it does, like you said, this is, you know, 30 minutes into the movie or so, but it does feel like they're saying goodbye. And uh I guess if anything, you know, they kind of shot chaser type thing with that goofy scene of Kermit giving himself a pep talk that night. So I guess they kind of counterbalance it but yeah in the moment it's it's a bit too much i i think that out of everybody the, the saddest thing is to see fozzy singing by himself because you yes. get the feeling that he's not going to make it without kermit to watch out for him you know like everybody else you know scooter rolf they're gonna land on their feet and the you know the dr teeth like the, the band's not breaking up they're going on their own way miss piggy has you know strong personality gonzo has camilla but fozzy like who's gonna put up with his shit that's that's the biggest bummer i was glad to see that he ended up at least you know in the company of his own species for a while but yeah that really sad really sad uh, musical number kermit ends up getting a job working at pete's diner and so he's starting to make his way uh, all the while he's trying to get his script picked up uh, by a producer locally the manhattan melodies he ends up dressing himself up like what he perceives you know a, a smooth talking uh hollywood representative is and you know he's got a, a permed wig and pretty fly a little pink suit and a gold chain and some aviator glasses and just barges into the office of john landis and hey baby sweetheart you gotta check out the script we got going on here it's great they're, at this point, they're just abusing the We Can Show Muppets their entire body because for no reason we get a shot of Kermit laying down on yep. John Landis's desk. <laughs> it's just like, all right, we get it. You know how to shoot these things uh, you know, from, from the neck down or you can get their whole body in a shot. You know how to use their legs now. Congratulations. But see, th- this is what I'm talking about with like shaky cameos. How many people do you think recognized uh, John Landis? We just talked about it uh, when we did the Muppet Wizard of Oz, right? I told you who could replace Sorrentino, and you told me, well, that's a really tricky question because not many people, not many film directors could go up there and be recognizable by the Mm -hmm. average person Mm -hmm. the way Tarantino is. Okay, well, even in the 80s, you're not going to tell me that people knew what John Landis looked like. Yeah. yeah. You know? That that kind of is a... uh, That's analogous or you know emblematic of most of the cameos in this there's a few that are obviously very powerful personalities that people will know but for the most part yeah like john landis and uh, even elliot gould i know he had appeared before but some of these more you know inside baseball type actors and directors all you're doing is you're taking this movie's supposed to be geared towards kids all you're doing is just making them not care just show more of kermit with his little permed wig and his pink suit they're going to care about that more <laughs> and me, like me, I want to see more of Kermit's permed wig and pink suit. I don't give a shit about John Landis because all it does is he just walks in and he takes the script and he throws it in the trash. He earned his uh, his one day of work in the Puppet Take Manhattan. Now he gets royalties every time you push play on your HBO Max app. Actually, I don't think it works that way. Uh, well, speaking of that, Alex, because you've mentioned before that you are you're a sucker for Kermit in a costume. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't you feel that this movie kind of just beats that joke to death because this is the most costume changes I've seen Kermit have ever. 
Yeah, it gets pretty heavy towards the end when he starts working for the the soap uh, company and you know doing like uh, test um, market studies for them. Uh, the, to me, the best one was when they just sent him out of the hospital with amnesia. They gave him like this little suit with a it was like a blazer and a fucking like cabbie hat or something he was wearing on top of it. But yeah, there there's a lot of uh, costume changes for Kermit here. It's like. Um, you know they're trying to make him a chameleon, not a frog. It's just let him <laughs> let him be Kermit. There's a couple instances where the costume change makes sense, like when they go into the restaurant. But for the most part, they're just way over the top with it. Uh, after this, he goes and meets up with Jenny uh, downtown, just kind of recount the tale of what happened and what they think is, you know, the future holds. We see Miss Piggy spying on him from afar, and uh, one of my you know real talk contrarians corner, whatever. Like one of my favorite. Muppets moments really ever piggies on the corner of the street watching them and these construction workers start catcalling her and uh, you know she's getting progressively angrier with what she's seeing and what she's hearing so she just takes like a metal rod and just beats the shit out of this trash can and it scares all the guys away I just I always thought that was really funny do you think that she's justified did you could you sense sexual tension between uh, Jenny and Kermit no they're just friends and Jenny's trying to help them if Piggy cared that much, she shouldn't have said goodbye. She sang, saying <laughs> she goodbye to Kermit. She should have stuck around. She should have said, saying, I'm staying. That's what she should have said, not goodbye. So she's got no one to blame but herself. Uh, she goes back to work. She's working at like a department store, a Sears or a Gimbel's or Dillard's or something. I don't know what the fuck it is, but she works in the cosmetic department. And we get, which would definitely have been one of the more recognizable cameos at the time, Joan Rivers here uh, works alongside Miss Piggy. They dole out the perfumes and makeups and what have you, uh, the cosmetics. And then we get the scene that looks like it was probably a lot of fun to make but i wouldn't say it's that much fun to watch it's just kind of like to me i might be off base here julio what i read this as was just them kind of fucking around having a good time and then they're just like fuck it we'll just put it in the movie they uh they pre-apatow apatow (laughs) (laughs) the director uh frank oz was just like just have fun for five minutes and then we'll cut it down to 30 seconds and then he left the whole five minutes there it's uh it's weird because it doesn't come back. Like I, I thought, okay, they're setting up this friendship between uh, Joan Rivers and Miss Piggy, and she's gonna become her her buddy, her confidant. Like you know, Kermit has Jenny now, and Miss Piggy's gonna have Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers never comes back into the movie. <laughs> she gets them no. fired. She gets herself and Piggy fired, and then that's it. We never see her again. It, what was the point? Why did we spend so much time with her? So we could laugh, Julio. So we could have a no, good time. There you go, future host of uh, E Entertainment. Yes. Red carpet coverage, Joan Rivers. Uh, we get Rizzo and his pal's musical number back at the diner. It's actually, some of it's kind of interesting. I would like to know the technicalities of how they shot some of it. Specifically the one that was ice skating, on so the to butter. speak, on the, on the butter. But it was on the griddle and you could clearly see it was butter. So I thought that was cool. Uh, we get a check-in. This is about the midway point, And we get a check-in from all of the other Muppets to for everyone you know, to know where they are, to let Kermit know where they are and what they're getting up to. Uh, Scooter got a job as a house manager at a movie theater in Cleveland. Um, we see the Swedish chef as the popcorn server and Lou Zealand as the uh, dedicated viewer of 3D movies and also brings his own props to <laughs> enhance the experience. Uh, Fozzie Bear went and joined some other bears to hibernate in the forests of Maine uh, as he was having a hard time sleeping. 
uh, he you know he's he he can't fall asleep and the one next to him's like maybe if we cuddle him he's like I didn't realize these trees were co-ed <laughs> that did make me laugh <laughs> uh, yeah this part Julio features like one of my favorite lines ever in the Muppets where um, this bleeds into a little bit of real talk obviously but Kermit opens the letter and he starts reading it and he's like dear Kermit waka 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 but seriously <laughs> <laughs> so good because it's that thing of while he's saying it, it's fading into Fozzie's voice saying it. It's mm-hmm. just, it's brilliant. Uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem are working at a retirement home in Pittsburgh. And uh, Gonzo and Camila are doing like a, a water act. They found more chickens. And- so the, the, the implication is that Gonzo now has like a, you know, he's not exclusive with Camila anymore. Now he mm-hmm. has a whole bunch of girlfriends. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so he actually he moved up in the world. And then Rolf is hilariously enough working as like the head at a dog kennel. That's also a great scene. It's coming up here in just a minute. We'll get to it. Back in Manhattan, Kermit understands, you know, what's going on with everybody. He he still has hope that it'll bring them all back together, but he still needs to get some some traction going for this play that he wants to put on. So he has this idea to start a whisper campaign. He's going to go to a fancy hoity-toity restaurant in New York, uh, dressed up as you know this big time producer. The rats, Rizzo and his pals, are going to come with them so they can you know run under the tables and oh, who's that? Who's that? Is that Kermit the Frog? Is that Manhattan Melodies? And <laughs> all the while, he sneaks in a, a portrait of himself that he replaces Liza Minnelli's picture on the wall. Uh, you know, to make him look like one of the stars that frequents this place regularly. And so the whisper campaign starts to work. And then we get a cameo from Liza Minnelli here. Uh, all jokes aside, is this one of the more A-listers that's been we've so far on our uh, Muppethon that we've come across? Is Liza Minnelli doing this? Well, so definitely, it's certainly in this movie, right? Like she's easily the biggest name in this movie mm-hmm. other than the Muppets. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, who do we have in the in the OG? Uh, we had Steve Martin, might have been the the biggest name yeah, at the that's time. Yeah, good call. And then, uh, and then clearly Tarantino, <laughs> the Wizard was Mel Brooks. In the Mel original. Brooks, yeah, yeah. All right, so we're about fifteen years removed from Cabaret, but Liza Minnelli is still a big name. And to her credit, uh, you know, there's a lot of jokes to be said about Liza Minnelli and how seriously she took herself and. Eliza Minnelli was the star of all stars. Uh, Here, she does a pretty good job of kind of poking fun at herself and also just kind of, again, I don't know. This could also just be her thinking, I'm going to steal the show with my performance. I I don't know. I don't know how her (laughs) show business rattled brain worked. But she looks, she notices her picture has been replaced with a picture of Kermit. And she asks uh, Vincent, the maitre d', Vincent, did I do something wrong? And he's looking confused. And she goes, Vincent. A frog? And then just kind of has this disgusted look on her face and walks away. It's pretty funny. But if you're a kid, you probably have no idea what's going on. Well, but did you notice that she never interacted with a Muppet? So I think that that was the Ah. thing. She's like, I'll do this, but I'm not going to talk to a puppet. I'm not Steve Martin. I'm not going to lower myself to this. (laughs) You know, Tarantino, Steve Martin, Ashanti, to, to different degrees of success, but they all, like, stared straight into the eyes of a Muppet and and performed. Liza Minnelli just talked to the Major D and then exit, you know, stage left. So I think that that's, that's what happened and uh, that makes it a little less impressive. It's a very fair point. Very fair point. See, we're starting to take notes of these things that you typically wouldn't because we've <laughs> talked about the 
situations and some of the struggles and strife that's created by working with the Muppets. And Liza Minnelli just said all together, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh, as would be expected, Rizzo and his pals ruin the, the whole soiree, though. They smell the food. They want some. They appear. Everyone runs out of the restaurant in terror. Uh, we go to the park. I can't. I didn't catch if this was Central Park, but Jenny and Kermit are there together. He's frazzled by everything that's going on, so they go for a jog. This is where we mentioned Miss Piggy's there, and she gets her purse stolen because it is New York City. If Jason <laughs> takes Manhattan has taught us anything, it's that uh, can't be trusted. The people of New York can't be trusted. Yeah, at least nobody drugged her. It, it was just uh, your standard, uh, your standard mugging. Well, it was during the daytime, so they they kept it a classy mugging. <laughs> uh, takes Piggy's purse. Piggy takes off after this creep and eventually catches him and tackles him and has him arrested. During the scuffle, though, it catches the attention of Kermit, who's like, what the hell are you doing here? And, you know, Jenny's... I think the jealousy or, you know, whatever it is of Piggy towards Jenny is a completely one-way street because I don't think Jenny's trying to swoop in. It just it speaks to the insecurities of Piggy here. Uh, but she, do, she does get to go on a horse-drawn carriage ride with Kermit to talk about, you know, I missed you and, you know, I love you and, you know, want to talk about our future together, get married, all that type of shit. And then, you know, all to set up just a marketing campaign yep. for what would become a new show and line of toys and, and the Muppet Babies. Yeah, cue the music video commercial for Muppet Babies, which I, until today I didn't know that it was it debuted the same year. You know, like at first mm-hmm. I thought as I was watching the movie, I was like, "Oh, this is just like Muppet Babies." And I was like, "Is this what inspired the show?" And then I looked it up to see when it had come out, and I was like, "Oh no, it was the same year. This was it didn't inspire anything. This was just like a baked in pilot." <laughs> Just like we're gonna do it. And the worst part is I don't know, I don't know how you feel about Muppet Babies, but I, I felt like that was it, it's just too much. You know, it's like the Muppets are like kind of like the right level of cute the way they are right now, with their ambiguous age. You know, like we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Are they college age? Are they are they middle age? We don't know, but they look they look right. When you de age them and they're babies, but they still very much look like like themselves. It's a very specific type of uncanny valley, right? Like, it looks like Kermit, but it's not Kermit. It's like baby Kermit doesn't compute, and that applies to every single one of them. And I don't like it's creepy. I don't like the, the Muppet Babies uh, sequence here. And not just because it's just such a transparent marketing effort. <laughs> A shout out to our friend and patron, Brandon Curtis. I remember when I talked about Muppets Take Manhattan with him one time. I think we might have been showing it at the theater when I still worked there. Something of that. I was just like, oh, yeah, did you see Muppets Take Manhattan's coming up? And he goes, yeah, that's the one with Muppet Babies. Then it was quiet. And he goes, mama, dada, boo boop, chihuahua. <laughs> and then it was quiet again. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we didn't talk about it in, the, in terms of the song. But uh, how, how do you feel about that song? Uh, it's it's possibly the most catchy in the whole movie, and we talked about it together again. I'm, again, I'm not saying that makes it good, but it's definitely like na, 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 na. it's just a very easy, repetitive beat and melody to it that makes it very it retains very easily. Yeah. Um, one final point because I I think this is it, this is kind of a through line, right? We keep talking about the amazing uh, advancements in the art of. Uh, 
puppetry or muppetry or whatever you call it. And oh, we can see Kermit walk. And uh, I think at some point we see, uh, I think it's when they're leaving New York, we see Scooter riding a bike, which I was like, all right, we saw Kermit do that in the first one. I mean, you're going to have to do better if you want to impress me. And then they kind of had the chance here when Kermit is jogging with Jenny. You never see him jog. Did you notice that? Like the shots always like waist up. <laughs> so we oh, can yeah. we can see him it's walk. Just him bobbing up and down. Yep. We can see him walk. We can see him ride a bike, but we can't see him jog. Like that's that's where Jim Henson drew the line. And he's like, I can't do that. That's too much. Like I said, the importance of this is that Kermit and Piggy make up. So the the quest now begins to get the band back together. It's time to get everyone back. Uh we get a cameo for Brooke Shields at Pete's Diner, where Rizzo or one of his comrades is absolutely fawning over her and rightfully so i mean it's fucking brooke shields we check in with gonzo like i mentioned and then rolf who's in charge of a kennel a dog kennel uh who is the cameo here uh james coco let me see if i can find what's oh it looks like he's accomplished in the realm of theater so that would make sense why he was in this but, but they should have put him as a producer i i guess <laughs> why is he just some rando with a dog um this scene uh, I know you're a big Rolf fan, but uh, were you a little conflicted when uh, Rolf made a racist joke? Oh, which was that? I didn't catch it. Because the guy is, uh, you know, Mr. Coco is talking to his dog and he's doing like the baby talk, kind of like smooshing his words together. And then Rolf goes like, your Chinese is very good. Oh, I didn't catch that. Uh... <laughs> I was like, no, not you, Rolf. It too. Um... <laughs> yeah, I expect that shit from Fozzie. Yeah, for real. But uh, James Coco comes and drops his dog off. I think his name's Schmo- uh, her name, his name, Schmookums, Schnookums, mm-hmm. something like that. When he leaves, the all the other dogs in the kennel just start like giving it shit. It's so funny. It's like, oh, hey, Schnookums. <laughs> but the James Coco, you know, he talks to Rolf about what he needs for his dog to be taken care of. And then, you know, shake, sit, stay. He leaves the room and Rolf says, that's the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to me in my life. <laughs> I mean, this whole scene is just fucking gold. Uh, but the, the when he tells him, uh, "Do you have toys?" and Rolf's like, "What kind of toys? Oh, doggy toys. You know, like rubber this and rubber that and rubber, rubber newspapers." And then he goes, "You know, Snooky's prefers the rubber New York Times to the rubber Washington Post." And then Wolf says, "What well, don't we all?" <laughs> <laughs> So Kermit receives a letter from a uh, producer, Bernard Crawford, who's interested in the musical. Uh, so he's off to make it happen. When he gets there, however, he discovers that it's actually his son, Ronnie Crawford, played by Lonnie Price, who wants to prove himself as a producer. And he thinks that like, if he hitches his wagon to Manhattan Melodies, this, is, this could be his ticket to the big time. And, you know, prove to his dad that he can hang. He can, you know, do this shit. <laughs> And so the deal is done, and Kermit's walking on sunshine, so to speak, but ends up getting hit by a fucking car. And this would be terrifying for little kids watching, because the car hits him. It does that thing of you just hear it, so you don't think you're going to show anything. And then they show Kermit lifeless on the ground. It's it's horrifying. <laughs> He's not moving. <laughs> and uh, the only thing that's missing is just like the pool of blood, like slowly forming mm-hmm. beneath him. <laughs> just that graphic. Like the comedian at the beginning of The Watchmen. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's brutal. And you know, that was a, that's a missed opportunity. You already had Mary Lou Henner in the cast. Why not have her driving the taxi that hits Kermit? That would have made it a little lighter, would have added some levity to, to what's a really disturbing scene for a, for a kid's movie. But yeah, you're right. Uh, that was this is pretty violent overall. Like, I was thinking about it, and uh, 
even if you go as far back as, as the beginning when they're uh, with Daphne Coleman and Daphne Coleman takes um, Camilla hostage trying to escape the cops like that's rough you know the way that he grabs a chicken and he's holding the chicken by the <laughs> by the neck and then he grabs Gonzo by the ear and it's like he's roughing oh, yeah. them around it's that's pretty uh it felt pretty violent it, you know not in a funny haha like Gonzo just got a bowling ball to the head but more as in like this is an actual human like an adult man handling the Muppets and then and then later on you have a uh, piggy getting mugged and that's also kind of like a little too too real world and then of course it just culminates on with Kermit getting hit by a cab. That's <laughs> I don't know. I, I I kind of feel like they could have toned it down a little bit, and you still get to where you need to go, right? Uh, but it just didn't need to feel so real. Yeah, it was a bit much, as we've said about several things throughout this. So he has amnesia. He's diagnosed in the hospital as having amnesia. Meanwhile, Ronnie Crawford goes back to the diner and lets everyone know, you know, that the, the show's on. And by this point, the whole group's back together. So he lets everyone know, you know, we've invested in this and uh, we're going to do this. Manhattan Melodies with all of y'all, but they can't find Kermit, so that becomes the focus. Once Kermit gets out, he's discharged as for being diagnosed with amnesia. He stumbles his way into doing uh, market research or focus grouping for, is it, it's not Ocean Spray, I'm trying to remember, Ocean Breeze. So, <laughs> yeah. along with, uh, he just determines that his name's Phil, and then his coworkers <laughs> are Gil, Jill, and Bill, and they'll, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> They all have the same mannerisms. They're all frogs. They talk the same way. It's it's uh, too many it's frogs, Alex. It was just too much. Too many. I, yeah. I didn't realize how annoying uh, Kermit's mannerisms are until you see them times three, times four, I guess, <laughs> counting him. Quadrupled. Yeah. They, they, all, they all talk the same way. And on top of that, they made Kermit even worse because when he wakes up with amnesia, the way that he talks changes a little bit. Now he sounds a little more pretentious. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he kind of like drags the vowels a little more. So he already sounds like an asshole. And then you you multiply him, and now you have you know three more frogs that speak the same way and do the same things and have the same head bobs. It was just it was pretty nightmarish. Uh, so I'm glad that this was just the last I don't know 20 minutes of the movie because uh, in my mind I used to think that the, the amnesia part happened much earlier in the movie. I thought that it was half a movie of Kermit not remember who it is who he was but but actually it's it's pretty brief in the big context of the movie yeah they're they're not together for too long of a period and we go back uh, to Pete's diner and this is where the big discussion is about the plan is that y'all are still going to be in a part of this and all the Muppets are there and uh, Ronnie Crawford's explaining you know what the idea is and Rolf goes <laughs> he turns to Fozzie and he goes who's he and <laughs> Jenny overhears and says, he's Ronnie Crawford. He's the producer on the Manhattan Melodies or whatever she says. And then they, Rolf and Fozzie shake their head like, okay. And then Fozzie turns to Rolf and goes, who's she? <laughs> <laughs> so they're gearing up for this great uncertainty. They know they're going to do this performance, this Broadway musical, but they don't know. They don't have their leader in Kermit. So they begin a, a citywide you know, search party for him. And they even ask the mayor, you know, where he is. And he gets this cute little line. I think it was Mayor Coke is what I said earlier. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Like, my, my note says, is that the real mayor of New York? Because I wouldn't have known. Mayor Edward Coke, who was in office as the mayor of New York City from January 1st, 1978 to December 31st of 1989. So, yeah, he would have been acting large and in charge at that point in time. Do you think Giuliani would have done it? 
Oh, yeah. Like I said, Giuliani was on Seinfeld, <laughs> where the whole joke was they were making fun of his blood pressure and shit. <laughs> well, I, Something like also, this. This is like Arnold in the rundown. This would have taken, you know, 20 minutes to shoot. <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, we're talking like heyday Giuliani, not not Trump lackey Giuliani because yeah him I, I believe that he would he would do a sex tape with the Muppets but I'm talking about like oh yeah Giuliani before he fell from grace when he was like oh we all love him because he saved us and all that stuff the- oh no Giuli- Giuliani he he wore drag on SNL like I said he was on Seinfeld he he did whatever the line of duty called for <laughs> to answer your question yes he would have shown up here in a heartbeat <laughs> so they can't find Kermit they go back to the diner to just kind of lick their wounds sulk regroup figure out what the hell they're gonna do uh phil gill bill and jill come in for a business lunch and this is where we get kermit we would get kind of a a throwback to this in the 2011 one where he you know plays the piano to see if he can still remember the muppets show theme song and with this he's got a couple glasses that have varying degrees of water in him he's playing with the spoon to the melody of together again and you know the next table over is all the muppets and like is is it fozzy that kind of just starts mumbling the words of the song to himself uh, first is uh, Dr. Teeth. Dr. Teeth starts mm. humming it, and then Fozzie starts singing it. So then they look over, and they realize, sure enough, you know, Gonzo figures it out. It's like, holy shit, it's Kermit. So they all celebrate and take him and say, you know, it's time for this performance. And all the while, he's trying to tell him, I don't know who you people are, because he's had a serious bout of amnesia, and he hasn't snapped out of it yet. So it makes for just kind of awkward and kind of like not a conversation I would want to have with my kids, you know, depending on how young they were. Like if you get hit in the head hard enough, you'll forget everything you know. That's not how amnesia works. <laughs> and that's definitely not how you cure amnesia the way that, the, that this movie does it. That's not how you cure it. I mean, granted, this is all Muppet logic, right? But the, the fact that his co-workers barely bat an eye at what's happening at him getting mobbed and then eventually getting kidnapped by <laughs> by the but this group of people uh, and they're just like oh well i guess he's not gonna order with us and we're never coming back to this restaurant it was just i um, guess they don't have many repeat customers that's what they say yeah that's what they say but it kind of cheapens the relationships that that you create between these characters when big moments like these don't have resonance you know among them it was like oh i actually for I don't know. A few minutes, I was actually buying the 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 connection between between Kermit and these other frogs. It just made sense, right? He he finally found like somebody of his same species that was kind of uh, appreciating what he did, and he was good at it, and all that stuff. And uh, but then it's just they don't really seem to care when he gets taken away by by a bunch of strangers. So it's like, ah, come on! I I just needed one shot of them going like, "What the fuck? Call nine one one," you know, or something. Uh, but you don't see that happen. No, they're, they're just kind of on to the next. They're pretty dry and, I think, humorless individuals to begin with. So they're just, they don't know what to make of this. But I think it's the type of thing of, not our, they're probably libertarians. Not our problem. We don't have to worry ourselves with it. <laughs> Shaking their heads and going like, oh, this is bad. But we're not going to do anything <laughs> about it. So it's backstage at the first night of Manhattan Melodies. I love, 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 love the show tunes version of Together Again that, uh, Dr. T's directing with the orchestra. It's good stuff. Backstage, they keep trying to convince Kermit of who he is, and he can't figure it out. And Piggy finally says, you know, you were in love with me, and we were going to get married. He just starts laughing. He's like, what? Why would I marry a pig? Were you going to bring home the bacon? And he starts making all these really bad pig puns. That was unpleasant. But tremendously during this in the background, 
all of the Muppets, like it's like Fozzie, Rolf, Gonzo, and I can't remember who else is back there. Uh, their eyes are widening slowly and like their mouths are kind of dropping. They're like, oh God, this isn't going to be good. Uh, and then just serious bout of domestic violence. Uh, Piggy just with all her might hits Kermit so hard with so much force that knocks him back to his normal self. She kills the amnesia with the blunt force trauma. So when I, uh, I know there's a trope, it's not ex- exclusive to the Muppets. It's, it's just a, a regular trope. I mean, I guess it's been discontinued now but for a while. The whole like, oh, you hit your head, you lose your memory, you hit your head again, you get your memory back. Uh, I remember growing up and thinking that that was a thing. Did you have the same experience? Because I'm thinking, I'm wondering if I can trace that back to this movie because it's such oh, a big Oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I used to think of that like it was that, like you would forget what's going on if you got hit in the head or it can, you know, bring back or make you smarter, I should say. <laughs> uh, and then also that thing of like the lump on your head would immediately shoot up about you know seven to eight inches <laughs> off your head yeah so yeah i can i full heartedly relate to what you're saying yeah i don't think that when they're when they're making when filmmakers are making these kids movies i don't think that they realize how much power <laughs> they hold in their hands and how they're shaping these young minds in ways that uh, might not be the best it, it, that's you get enough things because you know you see this happen in one movie then you can probably shrug it off but when it becomes pervasive throughout entertainment then you eventually are getting a whole generation to believe this bullshit uh, which is probably not healthy um but what I was saying earlier was that I don't care. I mean, as much as I don't care for Despondent Kermit, I definitely do not care for Asshole Kermit. That is just crossing mm. a line. And I, I know, yeah, he's a, he has amnesia and he doesn't, uh, you know, he's not himself. But the fact that there was still, that this movie is telling me that there is something inside Kermit that would make him uh, make those jokes <laughs> to Miss Piggy. It's just, it's just too much. Um uh, I don't like it. I, I think that it sullies his character, even with the amnesia factored in, uh, in a way that uh, there's no redemption. You know, kind of like on a, on a bigger scale, I felt that this movie was going to be about Kermit learning to overcome his fear of commitment, right? Because kind of like the through line is that Piggy wants to get married and he's been pushing it off and saying, well... One day when we have money, we'll get married. And then it becomes, well, when we uh, make it in Broadway, we'll get married because then we'll have money. And she brings it up a couple times and he's always changing the conversation. And you can tell, you know, you're watching it, maybe not as a kid, but as an adult, you can tell like, oh, this guy, it's just like, he doesn't want to commit. And so I thought that the big climax of the movie was going to be him just somehow realizing, oh, well, I actually want to spend the rest of my life with her. I'm going to commit. And, uh, that's not. I mean, he does. He never gets that moment. His big moment is that he gets his memory back, and uh, he mm-hmm. decides that he wants to invite more people on stage. <laughs> it has nothing to do with uh, his commitment issues. And he's suffering from CTE in this post, you know, concussion that he hasn't been diagnosed with, and then he's bullied <laughs> into marrying Piggy. Yes, <laughs> it it's bad for both characters because on one end. Uh, it kind of sucks that Piggy's entire driving force in this movie is just that he she wants to get married. Like that's it. Yeah. At least in the in the original movie, in the OG, like she was she wanted a career, right? And the reason that she goes on the trip with with Kermit, the reason that she joins him is yeah, she thinks that he's cute, but also oh well, they're going to uh, to Hollywood, so that that tracks with what what I want to do. In this movie, all she wants is to get married, which is I mean, even. 
you know, by 80 standards, that's pretty reductive of, of, of a strong character that, that we we know that she wants more than that. And that the movie ends with her tricking Kermit into marrying her and that Kermit just kind of says yes because, you know, he just looks at the camera and shrugs and it's like, ah, oh, well, what the hell, we're already here. <laughs> it's like, that does not address the, the, the big issues that the movie had set up but you know he didn't want to get married he was afraid of something and we never see what happens that made him overcome that look at us here we are right where we belong the curtains up and the lights are bright and they're playing our old song what better place could anyone be because you're here with me so everyone here we go let's start the show so the show's back on, and like you said, he invites everyone else on stage, and they break into several musical numbers. We get like two or three Kermit costume changes here, and uh, you were in heaven. Oh, absolutely! The culmination of Jim Henson just showing—you know—this is his that moment in Endgame where the <laughs> it looks like Captain America's outnumbered by um, Thanos, and then that little gimmick of the the time window opens and then dr strange comes out and then you know like uh the people from black panther start showing up and then spider-man and everyone's there uh, would that be a fair analogy to make to the end of this where we get the reveal of like all the sesame street characters the fraggle rock characters the other muppets it's like everybody from the henson verse is here for this final number it's uh it's a bit indulgent Yes, it's it's an unnecessary flex. Did I properly describe the, the end game though? Isn't that what happens? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's it's a lot okay. more exciting in end game. Here they're just sitting. Okay. <laughs> in end game, they're preparing for battle. Here they're just watching their friend uh, get tricked into into marriage, uh, which which is my question. Do you think that they know? How many people of those that are like there as 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 guests in this wedding know that they're actually watching a, a real wedding happen instead of being part of a show? I would imagine not many. None of them seem to be terribly sharp. And then like the Sesame Street folk, they're sitting in the back, just like you know, we want to say we were here, but we're not going to the reception, that type of thing. <laughs> and so I think this is all concocted by uh, Miss Piggy. Yeah, I guess Gonzo was supposed to be the to play the. Yeah, where's Gonzo? She probably tied him up somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the the other thing, just on like outside of the Muppets, is just that I think it's weird that th- that's the big climax of the movie. That this big wedding, it's the big musical number. It's about the wedding, and again, I know it's the eighties, but it feels like such a uh, such an over the top celebration of such a traditional uh, establishment. You know, like a, mm. <laughs> let's celebrate the wedding of Miss Piggy and Kermit. It. it it honestly, other than the fact that it's a frog and a pig getting married, like it's really not that subversive. Like I would, I would feel like it's more in the spirit of the Muppets if it was celebrating the fact that they don't get married. You know that they're just mm-hmm. like we're just eloping or we're just moving in together or whatever. You know that's uh, for for the Muppets to be uh, what I always perceive them to be, which is counterculture, to have their big finale here to be just to be a wedding. That is so square, so so conservative. <laughs> so that's another thing that doesn't work in this ending. It forced them to be more creative, though, because they basically played their, you know, their hand. Their this was their full house or their straight flush or whatever <laughs> poker analogy you want to use, right? And they used it in their what third film. So, <laughs> you know, and they're still making these thirty-five years later. So, 
you know, you may not like it, but at least it forced their hand creatively down the road. This uh, but that is how it ends. Where do we go from here? Let's make them babies. <laughs> so they're married. It's a it's a real wedding, and they're it, Kermit and Piggy are together in holy matrimony. <laughs> and Kermit says, "What better way could it possibly end? Hand in hand with a friend." And then the end hits the screen, and the Muppets. And in that moment, you know the Muppets took Manhattan. <laughs> Did they? We never see the reviews. We never see how the critics reacted to this, uh, to this oh, the opening night of this show that suddenly had a lot more extras than originally was supposed to. Like that must have been chaotic. And then halfway through the show, like maybe after the intermission. It was no longer a show. It was a wedding. Like what happened to all the yeah. critics, all the, the regular members of the audience that were not uh, Jim Henson puppets. I get the feeling that Manhattan Melodies bombed. And so I, I don't think the Muppets took Manhattan. Did they show like the crowd and no one's still there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, the only thing that got taken was uh, Kermit. Kermit got taken for a ride at the end by Miss Piggy. He did. <laughs> Joke's on you. You have to sign a prenup. <laughs> no, that, yeah, he just requests a prenup before they have children or some shit like that. It just it like the, the where this movie lets off is just a horribly depressing like marriage story state of affairs. <laughs> you can see Kermit just punching the wall same way that Adam Driver did. <laughs> he would punch it with more force and because Kermit ain't no bitch. But uh, <laughs> all right, well. I th- we did okay. It was kind of hard to be negative about a lot of that, but I think uh, now the wind is right for us to move along to Real Talk, Julio. Yes, let's do that. Look at all those people out there. Lots of people. But my friends... My friends were all gone. Well, I'm, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to get them back because the show's not dead as long as I believe in it. And I'm going to sell that show and we're all going to be on Broadway. You hear me, New York? We're going to be on Broadway because because I'm not giving up. I'm still here and I'm staying. You hear that, New York? I'm staying here. The frog is staying and we are back. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron feed. And this is also where we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, this is a new month, a new year. We're starting off uh, fresh. We have new QVRs, new patron picks, new patron demands. I guess let's start with the with the QVRs because we're at least on my end we're going with a theme. Um, mm-hmm. This this month we're giving each other QVRs, and uh, since we're doing this this rock Cena thing, I figured I would uh, ask you to watch for the first time, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, and do a quick video review of it. Am I correct? You haven't seen it before? <laughs> yeah. What? Yes, Julio. I I've never come across a reason to watch that. Is that is is Jack Black in that? Yes, it's The Rock, Jack Black, uh, Nebula from uh, the Avengers movies, and Kevin Hart. 
What a quartet. Well, this works out perfectly because I pulled up the Wikipedia page. There's two overflows here. There's two, uh, I guess, constants. So you will be watching for your QVR. Was it the same year? There might be three constants on these. Yeah, it was the same year. 2017's Ferdinand, the animated movie starring John Cena and Kate McKinnon. It's uh, it's on a Disney Plus. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that the turkey movie? No, it's about a bull. It's like based on a the story of Ferdinand, which goes way back. That's like a story from the fucking 40s or 30s, maybe. It did pretty well. But, yeah, it's John Cena, Kate McKinnon, and the, the other overflow here the constant between the two is your boy bobby cannavale is in both of them sold there you go that's all you had to say uh <laughs> good stuff good stuff okay quick video reviews then for none for me jumanji welcome to the jungle for alex both first watches for each of us uh in addition to that this month alex our patron exclusive our patron bonus episode is going to be a uh, jawbreaker uh, requested slash yeah. demanded by Ryan, who uh, he's been wanting us to talk about this movie since uh, we did our Heather's episode, I think. And uh, yeah, it's time. It's time. Uh, and then on the other side of the patron demands, on the, the one that's going to come into the main feed, uh, Katie and OT from For Your Reference have picked the movie The Guard, a movie from 2011 starring Don Cheadle and Brendan Gleeson. Uh, you know Don Cheadle. He's War Machine. Uh, Brandon Gleeson. Uh, I Amongst know from a bunch other of things. Don <laughs> Cheadle has done a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Gleeson. He's not in the MCU, so I don't know what to tell you. But uh, he's he's Mark he's Strong. a good actor. Mark Strong, apparently. Yeah. John Michael McDonough. He, I, I think there's two McDonoughs in Hollywood, and uh, one of them did uh, in Bruges and. Uh, Seven Psychopaths and uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And mm-hmm. this is the other Madonna. <laughs> I think they're <Okay>. related. <laughs> but anyway, this, this is a fresh movie. So we're going to give it the contrarian treatment and, and treat it as rotten uh, later this month. So there's that. And then there's you know our usual stuff. We have the cutting room floor segment where we put stuff that doesn't make it into the, the official episodes. Where, uh, we'll have our pre-recording notes. Uh, we have the Rock Cena uh, Chapter 2. Uh, what mm-hmm. is Chapter 2 about, Alex? Remind me. That is going to be uh, the Rock's return and the challenge. So basically what happened is they, the Rock challenged John Cena to the match at WrestleMania 28 a year ahead of time. It was the night after WrestleMania 27. He challenged him to a match at the next year's WrestleMania. Had never been done before. Will absolutely never be done again. Uh, <laughs> so basically they used that whole year to build it. So we'll be discussing the actual lead into the event. And that, that ties in with which movies? The movies uh, we'll be focused on are their 2011 entries, which for John Cena, it's The Reunion, uh, where he stars alongside Amy Smart and uh, Contrarian's icon, Ethan Embry. I believe that movie, I know it's rotten. To which degree, I'm going to say it is 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> And that's one we're still going to have to figure out how we're going to watch it. Uh, it's probably going to get the uh, Doctor Who treatment where I'll buy it and <laughs> lend it to you. And then on the Rock side of the equation for his 2011 um, entry, we will be discussing Fast Five, which is 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a little more and obscure, that one. That one will be hard to find. 
Yeah, yeah. No one's really ever heard of this movie. It was a little indie project that The Rock did. Okay, Wonder Woman was in this one. Yes. So it was the one after this that Gina Carano was in, I guess. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, okay. this one has Wonder Woman, uh, and this yeah, it's The Rock making his debut into the franchise. So, well, that is what's to come there, and then Julio, of course, we have. Yeah, uh, of course. Then we have Contreras After Hours. The spin-off show where we talk about other things uh, that we've watched, that we've played, that we've read, that we've listened to. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contreras After Hours this time? Well, I think we're both going to discuss something we watched recently, but I'll let you <laughs> take that uh, in addition to... Uh, have you ever seen the Christmas Carol adaptation that Robert Zemeckis did with Jim Carrey and uh, Gary Oldman? No, I, I haven't. It is in my plans to watch it at the very least before next Christmas. Now that I have a uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol and the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, under my belt. Yeah, I, I screened it, and that's the only other time I had ever seen it. I screened it the Christmas it came out in 3D, and I remember thinking, yeah, it was all right. I actually watched it over the holiday break and wanted to talk about because I feel like that's a pretty underrated entry in the not only Disney Christmas movies, but you know, just Bob Zemeckis. Well, it's, it's good shit. And the, the Christmas Carol verse? Yes, which is <laughs> somehow even more vast than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, uh, I beat Bioshock finally. I tried to play through that game like twice before in my life. That game's older than potentially some people listening to this. It's from uh, <laughs> 2007. I remember getting it in college and trying and never quite getting through it it's a very interesting game i have absolutely no interest in ever playing through it again but i it's it was a huge game when it came out and one that i've been told to play through numerous times so just speak to my experience on that and then speaking of experiences julio i'll go ahead and lead off with uh you and i both watched the the big cheese on uh, hbo max right now and i think we both have thoughts on it that we're going to discuss in our after hours segment yes uh we're referring of course to the the matrix resurrections which okay so this episode is going to drop uh January 11th and uh honestly I don't know if anybody's going to be talking about Matrix Resurrections still by then but it doesn't matter because you know what you want to hear is Alex Nice take on it uh to to add a little bit of spice to it Alex there's a discussion to be had and we will have it about Matrix Resurrections as a movie but I think that I also want to talk about it as a as an installment and a franchise and how it compares to something else that I watched that uh, that was fantastic, uh, as I was hoping it would be, and that's uh, the new Spider-Man movie. Uh, Interesting. And how I had... Yeah, it, it is... Because they both are kind of uh, movies that look back at previous installments and, and try to uh, kind of reimagine certain things. And uh, I found that there are a lot of people that are kind of choosing either one or the other as the right answer. I don't think that it's as, uh, <laughs> you know, cut and dry as that, but I think that there's certain parallels and things that are worth discussing without, again, without spoiling No Way Home because I, you haven't seen it and uh, I wouldn't want to ruin the experience for, you know, whenever you watch it down the line at some point. Um, but anyway, so that's that's a lot of uh, After Hours. No Way Home, Matrix Resurrections, and uh, Bioshock. And Robert Zemeckis' Christmas Crow. All that and more. Come on, y'all. Throw a buck our way. Just kind of test the waters. It's kind of like OnlyFans. You know, you get the promotional deal and you just kind of look around and see. <laughs> just if you, like OnlyFans. <laughs> you see if you like what you see and if you want to pledge more. Uh, difference being, you know, we're going to be there for you all hours of the night uh, <laughs> in getting you. Th- 
getting you through every type of emotional situation, not just the horny ones. That's where we're better than OnlyFans. So <laughs> for our current patrons, you know, we all love y'all. Uh, if there's anything more you'd like to see or hear, be sure to let us know. You are why we do this. Yes. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime and check out our tiers and join the contrarian supplements. And now, Alex, the car bomb. Amazing. Julio, what is best original score song? I'm exhausted. And, you know, I was trying to just piece together <laughs> the plot from Muppets Take Manhattan for the first portion because I was excited about doing this. It's just, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. And mm. while I was doing it, I came across that uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan was nominated for an Academy Award in 1985. Uh, it was nominated in the category of best original score song. Now, there was also Best Original Score and Best Original Song. So what is Best Original Score Song? Is it uh, Rizzo's song? And Because, uh, you know, there's no lyrics. It's just the rats cooking. No, see, that's where it's weird. It, so they have the Best Original Song category, which was won by I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder from the movie The Woman in Red. And then they have Best Original Score, which went to The pa- Passage to India by Maurice Jarre. John Williams was nominated twice that year for that, for Indiana Jones and the River. And then this Best Original Score song, which it just says The Muppets Take Manhattan, Jeff Moss, Purple Rain by Prince One. And then the other nominee was Songwriter by Chris Christopherson. So the point of this is The Muppets Take Manhattan is and was an Academy Award-nominated film that currently rests at 83% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 24 reviews. Kind of surprising that that little of reviews, considering this was a big theatrical release. Uh, 83% Julio, so the critics mostly liked it, and it's got definitely its share of fanfare. Uh, but what were the detractors saying about it? Well, so here's the thing. With 24 reviews, I think it's like one or two that are rotten only, and they they're dead links. So <laughs> they're cowards. <laughs> they did not have the the conviction to just stand by their opinions. So I went to Letterboxd and there's uh there's a lot of people that love it on Letterboxd, but there's a lot of people that don't care for it. So here's a bunch of uh quick quotes from there. Uh, starting with a half a star rating from Steve, who says, More like the Muppets make me take a nap. Watched the first 30 to 40 mediocre minutes, then fell asleep. I have no desire to finish it. Well, Steve, it sounds like you were not in the mood to begin with. Who falls asleep through a Muppets movie? That's, that just oh, doesn't shit. make sense. Uh, Andrew gives it one star and says, Man, nothing happens. Why is Piggy's hair like that? In parentheses, the 80s. At least the last scene was nice. I mean, he asked the question and he answered it. <laughs> Why is Piggy's hair like that, Alex? Because it was the eighties, right? I mean, do you need yeah. do you need more elaboration? I'm glad that he liked the wedding, though. Um, Brian, one and a half stars, says after watching that, I would also like to be hit by a taxi and lose my memory. Jesus. Kane <laughs> uh, gives it one star and says the weakest Muppet movie. I watched them to be happy, not to be sad. How the heck was that a happy ending? Also, how did they manage to flanderize Miss Piggy in the space of one movie from flawed but badass biker chick to this? 
flanderized. <laughs> Do you think Miss Piggy is flanderized in this movie? No, she's Miss Piggy. She's just in love with Kermit and she wants to get married. How does that guy spell Kane? Is it K-A-N-E? Is this Kane of WB fame? <laughs> C-A-I-N. Uh, he's uh, ah, uh, Abel's brother. Former UFC World Heavyweight Champion Kane Velasquez. I see. <laughs> Not Kane Hotter. Um, <laughs> all right. And finally, I want to close with, uh, with this one, which I, I just happened to run into it uh just find it as i was looking for other quotes but uh, this is actually somebody we know this is paul from the countdown and i know paul doesn't like musicals i guess i should preface this uh, this thing i'm gonna read his whole review because it's only a paragraph <laughs> one and a half stars watched february 13 2021 <laughs> Even for a kid's movie based off a beloved television show, this plumps the depth of nonsensical with one of the worst plots and most ridiculous endings I can recall. I'm not a musical fan, but the numbers here are so lackluster and the jokes, if that's what they're meant to be, mostly fall flat. Long story short, this is easily the worst of the Muppets films. 1.5 amnesia plot beats to stretch a film out to 90 minutes for the Muppets take Manhattan. (laughs) I'm friends with Paul. I love Paul. But I, I did not realize that Paul just hated joy. Because that's that's all I can take from this review. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Why you got to be so mean? <laughs> uh, well, Alex, this is... Uh, I mean, you said it was, it was kind of like at the top of your list of Muppet movies. Uh, mm. Does it hold up? When was the last time you watched it before, before today? It was on the TV recently within the past month, but I wasn't really playing, paying too close of attention. Uh, it's been a few years, and you know, going through this, when all said and done, I'm going to have to go back and... Something tells me the 2011 one might take the top spot now because we're going through these and seeing all the things that the 2011 one was able to do and like the callbacks and the nods without being annoying and without being like... You know, you nudge your friend next to you. Hey, that he did the thing. He said the thing. <laughs> That's the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> so that one might take the top spot after this is all said and done. But I, I still love it. It's It has more of a sense of adventure to it to me than the original one. The original one's great. And, you know, you should go listen to our episode if you haven't already about that. But there's more of a sense of adventure in this because it's that mid-80s destination movie. you know. And there's this sense of nostalgia that I don't even have because I wasn't alive yet. But like from what I've what we talked about recently, might have been on After Hours, I was talking about uh, Desperately Seeking Susan mm-hmm. and just the awesome and something that cannot and will never be replicated again. You know, Woody Allen was good about this, but the just almost magical quality that New York city had in the, the um, realm of storytelling when it came to television and film mm-hmm. that spanned, you know, the seventies, eighties and into the nineties as well. That's just something we're never going to get back. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying New York city, I'm saying any city. It's just that there was this mythos about it big. You know, we talked about that a little bit when we did that episode about how it works because it's New York City. Even the jokes we said about Jason Takes Manhattan, that the whole premise of that movie was just because New York City is such a globally iconic city, if we just say Jason's going to be there, hopefully you know people will want to see it, that type of thing. So the fact that the Muppets are part of that ether that I guess you would call it canon, but just that idea of you know the magic that was in fictional and you know non-fictional 
television and film, New York City, they're part of that. And the fact that that, that was like a destination here and it adds this whole wrinkle of filmmaking and approach that's just gone and not there anymore. And as much as I love all the other movies uh, that you know I've seen about the Muppets, uh, to, to varying degrees, of course, but it's um, none of them have that. And so that's right off the start. That's something that I wanted to call out. Just that first shot of them coming to the bus station. It's like mm-hmm. we, we made it to New York City. Like that's that's really cool. And you know I've I've already said this several times, but that's just that type of moment is something that's kind of gone. Uh, you know, I'm sure we could find stuff that's replaced it with, you know, storytelling tropes that's used in modern film and television. But uh, for someone like me, who's always, you know, golden age thinking and harkens back to different times, it's, it's really cool. So that's something I'm attracted to with this. Uh, as we know, Hopeless Romantic, Love Happy Endings. It's the movie where Kermit and Piggy get married. That's awesome <laughs> yeah, because it's got the whole Jim Henson family there and it, it feels like a moment. Um, the cameos are some of the better ones in terms of time period and usage, you know, mileage got, uh, as we discussed in detail and at length and will be, you know, referred back to when we do our wrap up of these, we have learned that the Quentin Tarantino cameo may be the best in the entire Muppets (laughs) franchise, but I've always found Liza Minnelli's cameo in this to be really, really funny. And, uh, we joked about it in Contrarian's Corner, and if you tell me that's how you actually felt about it, I wouldn't be surprised at all. The scene with Joan Rivers does feel just like, "Hey, fuck around, and we'll use it in the film." But there's yep. like this innocence, there's this innocence about it. Well, it just feels act- like she's a she's a really big fan of Miss Piggy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why I didn't mind it. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's kind of you know, it's very disarming. I think um, you know some of the other ones though don't resonate as hard with me as. They probably would with some people. I don't really care that John Landis is in it. Um, <laughs> the Elliot Gould one is kind of funny, uh, but we already kind of we already played that card in yeah. the first movie. And uh, the Brooke Shields one is great too, just because it is that Muppet style of it's funny, just in how uh, innocuous isn't the right word, but just. I guess because it's kind of trivial and fun. She's like, well, I have dated some rats, if, if you know what I mean, or something. And, you know, Rizzo kind of feigns against the side of the table. So it has these uh, elements in it that are how I am won over watching a movie in my 30s. So that's that's a big part of it. Uh, the There is some great comedy in this, though. Then, like I said, that part where he reads the letter from Fozzie, that's legitimately like one of my favorite Muppets jokes ever. <laughs> Dear Kermit, waka, waka, waka. But seriously, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And uh, just the look of it, it's always, you know, during the day and it, the weather's always nice. Obviously, that's by design, but that makes for a very pleasant movie viewing experience. And so uh, there's the one night scene, of course, where he's yelling at the top of the Empire State Mm -hmm. Building. But it's just such a fun and uplifting movie. Uh, Yeah, the amnesia thing's silly, but again, the universe, the. Yeah, if you. I'm saying if you want to criticize the plot for that, my immediate retort would be these movies deal in a universe where these puppets are recognized as like people. They go to college. Yeah, exactly. And later on in the movie, they're recognized as like these massive celebrities that have fallen off. And some movies, you know, they're recognized as 
uh, you know, talented in whatever field they choose to be in. So it's it's all those things come together that make for a very enjoyable experience. And the songs in it are good. Together again, obviously, that's at the top of the charts. But um, saying goodbye is great. And I really like yeah. can't take no for an answer. Like the Dr. Teeth just crooning that out. I enjoy that. So, yeah, it's it's the sum of its parts. And I can't really think of anything in it that I dislike. I even I like the Muppets Baby song. And I like that Muppets Baby segment, even <laughs> if it was just to launch it. It's it's cute and adorable. And uh it's just funny seeing them as babies. Yeah, yeah. It's that's the novelty of it. It's just it, it it's it's short. It's not long enough to be offensive or drag or anything like that. So it's just it's it's all on the money. Yes. Uh. Yeah. I agree. I. It's it's funny because I I'd watched this when I was a kid and I remember being really scared when uh, Kermit got hit by the taxi, and then you know I saw it today and I was like, yeah, that's still like. I mean, for a kid, it's just what you said in Contreras' Corner. <laughs> that shot when they pull back and Kermit is just like on the ground, not moving. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. And it, uh, it's such a serious consequence. And uh, I guess it made such an impact on me that that's, in my mind, that's always what the movie was about. I always thought that, oh, it's the movie where Kermit has amnesia and the entire movie they're trying to get him to remember and he remembers at the end uh it's just like the last half hour of the movie yes it just happens very late in the movie <laughs> uh but i still remember i would think back on muppet Sigma manhattan and just think of just have this uneasiness i mean i knew it was a, a movie i'd enjoyed but i also remember it was like a movie that hurt the muppets it, it, like in my mind that was what i remembered and that's not accurate but it's not entirely far off because i feel like uh I don't know. They just feel more vulnerable in in this one, it, and it's not just the the physical aspect of it. You know, even though, like I said in Contreras' Corner, for a kid, having some random dude steal Miss Piggy's purse was kind of shocking. <laughs> I remember that, and then you know, and then the taxi, but but more more than that, it's just like emotionally, uh, the idea of this family, this group of this group of friends that's like a family just splitting, uh, you know, early in the movie. And being sad and miserable in their corners of the world, and uh, and Kermit is against such, you know, almost insurmountable odds, and he keeps, you know, it's not like oh he's in a good mood all the time and trying to beat him, but instead he he's constantly doubting himself and you know, uh, mm-hmm. needing reassurance, and so I I understand why as a kid I felt like it was a. It was a good movie, but also a movie that scared me a little bit because it was just, it made me feel uh, weird, you know, but those, those, it made me uncomfortable <laughs> to see, the, to just have that constant feeling that, you know, bad things are happening to these characters that I like. Um, watching as an adult, it's my favorite part of the movie. Uh, just uh, that tinge of sadness that is throughout, you know, so much of the runtime. Uh, that that goodbye song completely snuck mm-hmm. up on me. I you know, I didn't see it coming, and then suddenly I'm like, man, it got really sad. Like when Scooter is like hugging Rolf and Fozzie, and they're like splitting. It's like this is heavy shit. Uh, as an adult, like you know, I know that they're gonna get back together within you know forty minutes, forty five minutes. Uh, that, and then the, you know, that it all leads up to Kermit just being defiant in the middle of the night at top of a building, screaming at New York that he's not going anywhere. I was pumped. Like, I was as pumped as I get in the best parts of the 2011 Muppets, you know, it was which I was not expecting. So all that stuff is good. 
cameo wise, I I was not getting Contreras Corner. I felt that this one, I I was lost when it came to cameos most of the time. Like I recognize uh, Joan Rivers, Mary Lou Henner, and uh, what's the other big one? Like I wasn't sure about John Landis. I assumed that that was John Landis, and uh, and then Liza of course, Minnelli. Liza Minnelli. Like I knew that one, but then there was this constant feeling that. I'm like, well, that has to be a guy, but I don't know who that is. Which I remember joking about that in the Muppets movie, the original. And uh, but it, the difference was that I I kind of knew who they were. In this case, mm-hmm. like that guy, uh, you know, the guy that uh, with the dog in Rolf's scene, James Coco. Yeah, James Coco. I'm like, this has to be someone, but I have no idea who he is. You know, and that's not Kelly Osborne. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where's Tarantino? And. Uh, it, and that's, I mean, I don't know, you know, it, it, it's entirely possible that 50 years from now, somebody's going to watch the 2011 Muppets and they're not going to recognize anybody there, you know? The, mm. uh, Manny from Modern Family is in it, you know? <laughs> and I, I crack up when I see it, but somebody, you know, decades from now, they're not going to know. So I think that that's just, uh, well, that's luck of the draw. I think that uh, when they, when you make a Muppet movie, you get your cameos and... You just cross your fingers and hope that they're relevant down the line. But at the very least, they're going to be relevant when you release the movie. But in the, in that sense, surprisingly, I recognize more people in the in the original movie. Uh, my one sort of negative, and it's not like I mind it too much, but the thing that kind of like knocks it down a little bit, uh, as far as the Muppet Take Manhattan goes, is the. Mm-hmm. The wedding at the end, which I—I I mean, I like the way it's staged. I like the song. I geeked out seeing all the Jim Henson people, but I don't know. I just—I wanted, you know, it would have been so much better if Kermit had been the one proposing instead of Piggy. Uh, we already knew that she wanted to get married, <laughs> so that was not like you know. It's like it's funny. It's a—it's a funny joke that she would stage it, but I—I I feel like you need one extra thing. It's like okay, the joke is funny, but now let's make it also meaningful by having Kermit surprise. Maybe you know how funny would it have been if it was Kermit who had staged it so that they actually get married and he surprises Piggy that way, you know, and then you get that. Ex- I would have gotten uh, an emotional moment out of that instead of just like oh it's funny that she's tricking him into getting married i did uh, laugh very hard though at the part where he's like piggy i thought gonzo was supposed to be the the official <laughs> and then she just goes <laughs> and like looks at him and then just like puts her head back forward <laughs> i mean it's funny but i think because the movie had been so emotional at times i wanted the ending to be just as emotional which is you know it's something that happens in the, in the original movie and it happens in the 2011 where there's uh you know the, the original is like a celebration of all of them chasing their dreams and and you know achieving them and uh and then 2011 is a celebration of them still having it you know still getting the audience back and and this one was just like I guess it's a celebration of the Piggy Kermit relationship, but uh, it felt a little one-sided. Which is, I like them in the movie. Like I, I thought they're they're when they get back together, uh, it was pretty sweet. They went on that ride and they had the, the Muppet Babies number and all that stuff. And but ultimately, and, and maybe you feel differently, but I feel like throughout this movie, Kermit kind of takes her for granted a little bit. Like I said in Contreras Corner, every time she brings up marriage, he changes the subject. And then, and then uh, when he calls 
to let her know that uh, that the producer wants to produce the show, she says, oh, but well, that means that we're going to get married. And then he's like, uh, well, let's not talk about that right now. Let's just call everybody. <laughs> and that's the last time they talk about it. And so, I don't know. I just See, felt like... I, I read it as like, he wants to. He's just, he's Kermit. He just can't, he's gun shy. He can't pull the trigger. So it's just as, I, I have always taken like in that situation, he could have said no if he really wanted to, but it was the type of thing. I'm just like, all right, here it is. Do you really want it or do you not? That type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I don't think that it's a, it's a bad marriage. Yeah, I, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not an arranged marriage or some shit, but I, I get what you're saying too about it would be kind of just like the perfect ending if he, if he initiated it. I mean, it's still sweet because I like the characters. Uh, mm-hmm. Kelly was was watching. She she sat down for like the last thirty minutes, and uh, when that when that the wedding was happening, it was over. I think it was over. She was like, but she tricked him into marrying her, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, she did. But isn't it funny? <laughs> uh, but other than that, I mean, that's like it almost feels like a minor thing. That's just me. I need to find things so that I can rank them properly. <laughs> Yeah. I need to find the things that work and don't work for me, uh, on even if it's on on a minor level. Do you have a a favorite uh, a favorite scene in the movie? Because honestly, I I think that the at least as far as uh, comedy goes, I think the Rolf segment at the dog hotel or whatever is it might be the funniest. Yeah, that, that definitely from the comedy perspective, I would agree with that. Just the way he now shake. He just like puts his hand sit. And he sits down and he just like the way it's a puppet, but the way it's just like deadpanning at him as he's walking out the door and like stay, stay. Oh, that was the most humiliating thing that's ever happened in my life. And then, like I said, the way the other dogs start giving shit to hey Schnookums, it's that whole scene is just outstanding. And yeah, the other thing I mentioned the Rolf and Fozzie, the who's he? Okay. Who's she? That part was <laughs> fucking hilarious too. So I would agree with that. I do. I I, I don't condone catcalling or something, but I think that sh- that fucking scene is so funny when the, <laughs> these construction workers in New York, are like, hey, sweetie, like Miss Piggy, like again, just the insanity of it. Like in this universe, they've created Miss Piggy's this like sought after sex symbol, which I think is just tremendous. <laughs> and then you know they're catcalling her, and it just. It's just simple comedy. When it shows it the first time, there's one guy. Next mm-hmm. time it comes back, two guys. Comes back again, three guys. And then she eventually, you know, snaps and destroys that trash can with that steel pipe. And they all just kind of disperse. And uh, also just little things like Kermit talks about wanting to grow a mustache. And Jenny's like, <laughs> when are you going to start growing a mustache? I haven't shaved for three days. Can't you notice? And he looks exactly the same. <laughs> um, speaking of Jenny. I thought that she was actually one of the best uh, that we've seen so far. One of the best people at interacting with the Muppets one-on-one. 100%. Yeah. It, and and now, I mean, since we watched um, Muppets Wizard of Oz, I kind of feel like the the specter, the shadow of uh, Ashanti's performance there is going to loom over the Muppethon. As in like, oh, I can always point to that to say, see, that's when it doesn't work. And again, it's not about Ashanti per se, but it's about the fact that she didn't seem comfortable with, with the Muppets. And here, uh, Juliana Donald, who, who plays Jenny, like I was surprised by how <laughs> you know, she's, it, I mean, I don't know, you know, I guess you, you can't like, they can't teach you that. I think that you just either, either believe in the Muppets or you don't. 
and it looks mm-hmm. when she's talking to Kermit, it's like she's talking to someone. You know, she's just she's performing with a fellow actor, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I I bought them from the very beginning. Uh, I mean, I don't know why, but I expected her to be kind of like a, a name. But uh, I mean, I didn't recognize her from anything else. Yeah, I pulled up her filmography uh, on IMDb, and this was her top known for. She was also in a civil action with John Travolta. She was reporter. <laughs> I've seen that movie. Don't remember her. Uh, oh, she was in Purple Rose of Cairo. But I mean, yeah, again, I wouldn't recognize her. Yeah, I thought she was great. I agree with basically everything you said about her performance. And yeah, it is interesting. That's something we kind of learned. And we talked specifically with Ashanti about yeah, you can't teach it. If you're not going to be able to just approach them like they're real human beings that you're supposed to interact with, and it's going to come across as stunted. So props to Juliana Donald on this one. Well, I got to get back to work. I had a test today, so I came in a little late. Yeah, I, I, heard, I heard you passed the test. Well, I hope I passed it. It's for acceptance into a fashion design college. Oh, yeah? Oh, you know, uh, we, we just graduated from college. Really? Yeah. My name's Jenny. Oh, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Kermit. Hi, Kermit. Nice to meet you. I'm a frog. So just going back a tick to the Kermit character thing, I did have uh, a couple of quotes here I wanted to pull. Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film three stars out of four, stating in his review that the plot of the movie has been seen before. However, Ebert went on to say that just about everything in the film was enjoyable and that Kermit finally solves his long-lasting identity crisis. Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film three and a half stars out of four, writing, It was a most enjoyable backstage musical culminating, as you probably have heard, with a wedding ceremony between you-know-who and (laughs) you-know-who. The standard bearers at the time right there. Siskel and Ebert both heartily endorsing it, so... Just wanted to make sure to call that out because Siskel, you know, is my boy. He, he said uh, he always, he took to his grave that Saturday Night Fever was one of the greatest movies ever made. So I, Forever in your corner. I think he also gave Mask of the Phantasm either three and a half or four stars and like raved about it. So got that going for him, too. So there wouldn't be a Pete's Diner without Pete. And that was um, Louis Zorich, the owner and chef Pete. And of course, Jenny's dad. Captain Lou Albano looking motherfucker. <laughs> we didn't really talk much about him. No, it's for, you know, having an a restaurant named after him where a lot of pivotal stuff in the movie happens. It just, <laughs> it's not that he's unremarkable, just they don't really give him too much to do. His interactions with Rizzo and the Rats is fun, but outside of that, it's just he's just kind of there to pop up every once in a while and, you know, ah, just kind of say something like get to the table. The part where he um when we first meet them, where Rizzo gives a woman a cheeseburger. She's like, can I get some meat in this? And he's like, picky, picky. Pete, where's the meat? And he's like, it's coming. He just yells back at him. That that was funny. Well, he has that that running gag. You know, it happens a couple of times where he um, he just sits down to dispense advice, but he just speaks nonsense, which I thought was really funny. Because um, I guess the joke is that English is not his native language. And, uh, you know, people is people in... <laughs> And so on. And then I guess that the payoff is that they leave him to send telegrams to the Muppets, the other Muppets, to let them know that they need to come back to New York. And uh, mm. I thought that the joke was going to be that he was going to send them nonsense and they each were going to read something different. But instead, the joke is that even through his weird style of talking, like he manages to get the point across. <laughs> well, Piggy, well, 
find him. Oh, no, wait, 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 no, we, we gotta get his friends back here, all those bears and chickens and things. Oh, well, right. Pop, mm -hmm. could you send telegrams to Kermit's friends? Oh, please. Hockey, dokey. Let's go. Great, come on. Okay. He's no sweat. I like good. Dear bears and chickens and things, is New York. Is play. Is time. I, I like that. I mean, I, I, I found that pretty cute, like that aspect of his character. But like I was just telling you, I thought that mm. he was watching him. I'm like, okay, this has to be a big name. Kind of like how I felt about Jenny. And I was like, oh, it's it looks like Armin Mueller's soul. And it would be, I think, like the right age too. But then I looked it up. But nope, that's not him. That's just like some guy that I never saw again. No one is bad in this though. You know, it didn't really come up in Christmas Carol and even the first one. Um, there were a couple of cameos and performances we called out as being kind of lacking. Uh, you know, we we had our qualms with uh, Ashanti, which again may not necessarily be her fault to blame, but you know, we we try to be balanced in these and talking about when something doesn't work. You know, you called out your thoughts on the Kermit story and whatnot, but from an acting perspective, there uh, can you think of anything that you can like point to as like this is bad or this you know could have been better because I. I think it, it hit about as good as it was going to on all fronts from that perspective of like acting and, you know, the, even the, the puppets involved and the cameos. At no point was I like, this is bad or silly or doesn't fit in with what this movie's trying to do. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, it, and that's kind of like what I was saying, you know, like the, the earlier. It is a Muppet movie that does what you want a Muppet movie to do, and it does it at the top notch level. So, and that's, you know, acting, songs, humor. So, yeah, I, I I don't see, I don't find a weak link there like, you know, we have in, in mm-hmm. you know, a couple of the others. No, I'm a, I'm a, a pretty big fan of, of how it all turned out. And I, I understand if somebody doesn't like it, what I would find puzzling is if somebody doesn't like it, but they like other Muppet movies. Because I'd be like, but it's it's the yeah. same thing. Like, <laughs> what would make you not like this one and like the others? Um, I, man, I just did a quick search mm-hmm. when I was looking up uh, the actress that played Jenny. And I think that in Contrarian's Corner, I kept calling her Marty Lou Henner. And I even made like a taxi joke. And uh, I don't think that was Marty Lou Henner after all. I think that was uh, Gates McFadden, who plays uh well i mean you know she's mostly known i think as uh the doctor in uh star trek uh next generation and uh apparently before she got involved with star trek she was a muppeteer she was like part of the muppets team and so it would make sense then that she would be the one in this movie because marty lou henner is not listed as (laughs) anybody yeah it looks like uh cheryl gates mcfadden was listed as nancy yep so that's her. Well then. There you uh, go. So all of you listeners, just like retroactively, let's fix that joke. And uh, well, we can, <laughs> I guess it's it's easier for all of us. We, we can pretend that it's still Mario Lou Henner so that my taxi joke still works. Um. So together again, favorite song in it? Or are you going to go with uh, saying goodbye? Oh, I have to go with saying goodbye. Together again is great, but it's a little bit like um, Rainbow Connection in that mm-hmm. it it's it's legacy you know, spans more than just this movie. And so I, I kind of feel like, ah, well, I don't know. It, 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 but also I wouldn't say that it's the the most iconic out of this movie. Like if I had to, right now I would say it's the, the goodbye song because it just, 
don't know. In the way it's shot too, you know, because you see them saying goodbye and then you see them on their own and then you have that final shot that is like all the Muppets kind of like in a uh, semicircle, like their faces. And uh, I think Fozzie is in the middle, but then Fozzie fades out and it's just Kermit walking towards the camera. It's just really good. I mean, the way that it's shot is really good. So yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, is it called Saying Goodbye? Is that the name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that would be my pick for for this movie. Yeah, this is still pretty high up there. I think when it comes to the retrospective of the Muppets verse, the Muppethon, I think is when I can get a better idea of ranking. Like I said, uh, a couple of the ones we're not covering on here, I'm still going to fire up and watch just for the sake of completion. But for this, I'm going to go with an A. Previously, I might have done an A plus, but I think I got to live a little bit of wiggle room with the <laughs> wit. In the, you know, break glass in case of emergency situation of yep. where I find out in the end that the 2011 one is my favorite. So I'll give this an A, Julio. Where are you siding on your star scale? Uh, four and a half. Four and a half. Uh, it is, uh, you know, which I think is what I gave the the OG uh, Muppet movie. It's the Willow Room scenario. And basically it's what I said about the ending. You know, I kind of wish that there was a... a it's something more emotional than just like, oh, it's Nick cute that they're finally getting married. Mm-hmm. But I had higher emotional highs, like more powerful emotional highs throughout the movie. And yeah, if the funniest scene is uh, Rolf uh, dealing with that guy and that dog, the for me, the most powerful scene is uh, Kermit just screaming into the night and just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just proclaiming that he's not going to... Uh, He's not going to be beaten down by the Big Apple and uh, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> it's a, it's it's really good. And then, of course, you know, the button is that uh, Piggy is listening and she's still there. It's, it's, it's all so good. Uh, yeah, four and a half stars. Pretty high praise coming from the contrarians here from Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, what is on deck, Julio? What, uh, what do we have next? Is the Muppethon roll on or we got a, a break in that? Uh, the Muppethon rolls on, but not the way that you would expect. So... We needed a, another rotten movie, and all the other Muppet movies are fresh, uh, you know, to various degrees in the tomato meter, but still fresh. But there is a movie that's part of the of the Henson family of movies, and that it's it has a, a Muppet relation because you know it's it features puppets and uh, human beings interacting. So it's all in theme, and I'm talking about the Happy Time Murders, starring Melissa McCarthy, and. A whole bunch of uh, Muppets that are not part of Kermit's family. It's radar. It's an R-rated puppet comedy. Are you ready for this, Alex? Melissa McCarthy, back on The Contrarians. I, for some reason, came across our Hangover 3 episode on my phone the other day when I was in the shower. It was playing in the background right when we were talking about her. So, fitting. And, uh, yeah, I have not seen this, so I will be interested to... See what we can do with an R-rated uh, puppets movie, and I mean that very facetiously. I'm <laughs> not looking forward to seeing what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen it once when it came out, and uh, yeah, I think it'll it'll be worth exploring on on this show. It's time for the Muppethon to take a dark turn, like a really dark turn. <laughs> And then Alex, uh, this is worth mentioning because I think that you would get a kick out of it and probably uh, most of our listeners, those of you who listen to the Film Busters podcast and and you all should, they just closed their their year. Well, it's not their last episode. Their their penultimate episode of the year is uh, 
all quiz all the time episode uh, that they did among their patrons, and I'm one of their patrons. So basically, we all got to record our questions, and then they played those questions to other people, and basically they pieced it all together. So it sounds like a like a game show, and uh, so I went in, I competed, I I had to answer ten questions. Everybody had to answer ten questions, and uh, it was just film trivia. So I expected to do poorly. I think I did maybe not as bad as I expected, but still pretty bad by like trivia standards. And uh, and then I listened to the episode and I'm like, okay, well, at least everybody else did as badly as I did. <laughs> so that was uh, good. But overall, it was fun. And I would be curious, Alex, to see if you could get more correct answers than I did with my questions. So uh, I expect, I think my final score was uh, 4.9 maybe. So I'll be curious to see if you can do better than me when, uh, you know, if you listen to it and, and you get when you get to my questions. Yeah, I'll check that out and see uh, if I do well. I'll let you know, and if I don't, I just won't bring it up. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, get us out of here. All right, closing down, moving into perennial plugs. As always, we start off by giving a thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of '99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothbieser, he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, on our merch. Uh, you can reach him at Mildemonios on Twitter. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. Or you can check his website, mildemonios.pe. Just contact him if you want logo if you want comics if you want to talk to him about his uh, two podcasts Nación Combi which is about Peruvian current affairs or Marginal which is about economy or about any of his novels he, he's a fantasy author yeah, he writes about zombies you can check them all out on his website Hans thank you for all your support and thank you to Ms. Zoe Perez for supporting our social media game uh, if you haven't already, be sure to go to facebook.com slash Prime. Give us a subscribe, like, follow. I'm on Facebook lesser and less these days, so uh, I'm not quite sure what the terminology is there. But I can tell you, if you're on Facebook, you got a hell of a page there. And Zoe puts together some exclusive videos for our Facebook page, previewing and detailing some of our upcoming episodes and uh, movies that we've covered in the past. Uh, on Instagram, at Contrarian Prime, give us a follow there. You'll find audio clips, video clips, interactive graphics, things that Zoe puts together for us and makes look real pretty. For all that, Zoe, we're greatly appreciative. Keep up the good work. And with all that out of the way, with the pleasantries out of the way, and with the trip to Manhattan out of the way, <laughs> that's going to do it for this installment <laughs> of the Muppethon. That is going to do it for this episode of the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. I'm really glad you're following.